Um, we, we spent this year going through the book of Acts and getting a clearer picture of what God ha- has really designed and called um, us collectively as, as a church body, but also, also us individually as the church to be and to do. And, and if you are joining us uh, for the first time this morning or new to this, if I were to summarize what this book of Acts is, it's really um, the unfolding story of how God in the person of the Holy Spirit takes an extremely small group of men and women, ordinary men and women, just like you and I, and empowers them and leads them on a mission to share the good news of who Jesus is and what He has done for us, with just about everyone that they encounter. And the good news, the gospel in a nutshell is this, it's that God in the person of Jesus took on flesh and he lived a perfect life and then willingly died the death that we deserve to pay the debt that our sin has caused. And then three days later he rose again, thereby conquering both sin and death. And by his death and resurrection we're offered this restored relationship with God that had been broken by sin. And now we have this hope, this life with God, and this hope of life eternally with Him. And this is not something that we deserved, and it's certainly not something that we can earn. It's only something that we can accept. It's a gift that He gives us. And this is, we accept this gift by believing, by putting our faith and our trust in the fact that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that he did for us what he says he has done, and we give our lives to following him. That's how this gift is accepted. And and, and part of this following him is to be on mission with him, that we share what he has done with everyone that we encounter, anybody that's in our life, that we continue to share this amazing good news so they too can experience this incredible life and this hope that we have. And as we've gone through this study on Acts, we we have seen this small group of men and women, again, by and through the power of the Holy Spirit, share this good news first in Jerusalem with the Jewish people, and thousands of people respond to this. And because thousands of people are responding to this, the Jewish leaders are jealous, and they begin to persecute the church by throwing these Christians in jail and killing them. And so the people in Jerusalem scatter, but they can't keep quiet. They continue to talk about who Jesus is and what he has done everywhere they go. And then we see God move again through the Spirit to expand this good news beyond just the Jewish people to the Gentiles, which is basically everybody else. And tens tens of thousands of people are responding to this good news and are following Jesus, making Him their Lord, the Savior. And this morning, we're starting this new series we're calling Building Blocks. Because what we will see is the Holy Spirit will lead the church to send out people within these gathered communities to spread this good news, this gospel, to places that they never had been before. And this is different than what we've seen before. Before, the, the, the spreading of the good news was just as people were fleeing persecution, but now... The Holy Spirit is going to move within these communities of people to send out the Spirit. And the reason that we're calling it building blocks is because these are the building blocks 
toward the fulfillment of what Jesus had originally commissioned this small group of Jesus followers to do, which was to take this good news to the uttermost parts of the world. <clears throat> and like much of what we see in Acts, the details of what we will read this morning are meant to describe what happened, but they're not necessarily meant to prescribe, or they're not meant as a formula um, of how God works in every circumstance. However, there are some principles or truths that show us how we are to respond both as individuals and a church community when God leads us. And so we're going to dig into the text this morning. Um, if, you, if you're new with us and you're just joining us this morning, we have these Acts journals that we've been going through. You're welcome. They should be under the seat in front of you. Um, you're welcome to keep that, take that with you. There's a place you can take notes and follow along. But we're going to be on seven, page 72 of that Acts journal this morning. <clears throat> Acts 12, verse 25. It says this, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other, whose other name was Mark. And so the introduction to this kind of like circles back around to what we had read a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 11, where there's this brand new church in Antioch, in this place called Antioch, this new followers, and, and then they, they had gotten word that there was going to be a famine, and their response, rather than just hoarding things for themselves, was they decided that they were going to collect things to be able to provide for people who were affected by this famine. And they had sent Barnabas and Saul to Jerusalem, to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, to be able to take the things that they had collected so that the church, the church in Jerusalem could distribute them. And so this is their return from that. And they bring this guy named John Mark. Now, interestingly enough, John Mark is going to be the author of the Gospel of Mark. So that's where we will see him at some point again. And he's throughout the story in Acts as well. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And, and I think what's really cool, I just want to stop here because I think what's really cool in this one verse we see a picture of what the effect of the gospel is on a community. Like just a snapshot of that. And what I mean by this, what I mean by that is this. In this list is this extremely diverse group of men. And, and, and the reason that we know that, and this is a group of men that normally, especially in that first century, would not have been in community with one another. In fact, in some instances, they would have been somewhat at odds with one another. You have Barnabas, who is a Hellenistic Jew, which basically means he was a Greek that had converted to Judaism. And, and he's from the island of Cyprus. And, and then you have Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, Niger, in, in the Greek, that word means black. And so you have a black man in Simeon. You have Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is a part of Africa. You have Manian, who is from Palestine, who's from Israel. And his name indicates that he is Greek, but he is out of the family of Herod. Like, he's a Herodian. He's a Herod supporter, or has been a Herod supporter. And then you have Saul, who comes from Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And, and he is a Hebraic Jew. In other words, he is culturally, ethnically a Jew. 
And, and so you have this interesting collage of men that are together. Why are they, why is this significant? And why are they together? It, it's this. They, they no longer have found their identity in their race or in their upbringing or their political allegiance or their country of origin. No. Their identity is now found in a person. Their identity is found in the person of Jesus, who has now reoriented their loyalty. And not just reoriented their loyalty to Him, but also has set them on His mission and on His purpose. And honestly, when I look around this room on any given Sunday, I see the same thing happening here at South Point. I mean, I've reflected on this before. I mean, normally in everyday life, you know, there, overall, if you were to just randomly pick a group of people and try to put them together and, and, and like move them in a direction, there's going to be all kinds of differences. And, and, and what unifies us together, and, and I know in this room, I know from conversations, I know from relationships, I know that there's all kinds of personalities and views and backgrounds and socioeconomic. I know there's a lot of different things, a lot of places, different places you're from, even in Rhode Island. I get just all over the place. And the thing that unites us is the fact that our identity is not in those things, not in those specific things, but our identity is found in a person, and that person is Jesus. Verses 2 and 3. While this group of men, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Do you notice what they're doing when the Holy Spirit speaks to them? They're, they're worshiping and they're fasting. In other words, their focus is on God. God has their attention already. And the word worshiping here is really interesting. Because it's not the typical word, the Greek word for worshiping that you see a lot of times in the New Testament. The Greek word here is where we get the word liturgy. And what that meant here was that this was just part of their ordinary rhythm of what they did every day in their their relationship with God. I mean, there wasn't anything extraordinary about this. There wasn't like they set a special time aside for worshiping and fasting that they were seeking if God wanted to send some people out among them. This was just out of what they did. This was their normal practice. And when I saw this and understood this, it caused me to pause and reflect about how many times have I gotten this backwards. And what I mean by that is this. In my life, and especially in my ministry, I often have compartmentalized my communication and my interactions with God as if I set the agenda. Like, all right, God, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask for you to bless this certain thing. Or I'm going to, I'm going to seek you after this certain, certain thing. And so when I want or I need something from him, especially in something that's bigger or in life or ministry... I'll seek him about those things. And it's usually something I've already come up with. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask or seek, but perhaps the order is backwards. We should hear first where he's leading and then seek his guidance through what we 
what he is calling us to do. And what this has done for me is this has really challenged me to reorient this in my prayer life. To, just to come to him each and every day just seeking him. And, and, and when I do ask, my ask is this, what do you want me to do? And how can I serve you today? And, and then when he leads, be prepared to respond like we see these followers of him respond. Which leads us to the first truth that I think that we see in this. When God leads, we obey. When God leads, we obey. I mean, consider this. Their response to this call is immediate. They didn't question it. They didn't debate it. They didn't ask for details. I mean, how much more general can this call be? Set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. Like, what does that mean? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? How long is it going to take? What do we need to bring? What does this even mean? And despite the cost, I mean, consider the cost of this. I mean, here you have Barnabas and Saul. This is a new church. This is a young church. This is a church that hasn't been around for more than just a couple of years. And you're going to take their main leaders away? That's a tremendous cost. But their response is they don't plan or they don't decision make. They fast and they pray and they obey. Like, that's what they do when they send them on their way. And my question for us to wrestle with this morning is this, is what is God leading you to? Maybe God is leading you to make that decision, which is the ultimate decision in life, is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you've been riding the fence on this, you've been considering this for a while, you've never really stepped into that, and maybe God is leading you in that this morning as you've been wrestling with it, and for whatever reason that you've not made that decision, maybe that's something that God is leading you to, or maybe it's just you've made that decision and it's, you're just kind of like stuck there, and maybe whatever that next, next step in your faith journey is, maybe he's leading you to that, or or maybe God is leading you to reconcile a relationship. And, and what he's leading you into is for you to be the initiator. Like not to sit back and wait for this relationship to be reconciled. Like God is leading you to step in and to engage and to initiate. Maybe God's leading you to that. As much as that restoration and that reconciliation depends on you. Maybe God is leading you into a new job or a new career. Maybe God is leading you into being more engaged and involved with His church. Like, whatever that looks like, whether it's, you know, being a part and investing, you heard the announcement about being involved in a smaller group of people or stepping into serving. There's so many opportunities to serve. Not just in the walls here, but just to serve like we talked about earlier. Maybe God is leading you to step in to celebrate recovery. I'm so excited that, that that is getting off the ground again. And again, I want you to hear the messaging of that. That is for anybody who has a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. That pretty much is everybody, right? Every single one of us. And I'm excited to be able to be in, involved in, in that ministry and as it gets off the ground again. 
Maybe God is leading you to share your story, like your story of what God has done for you through Jesus. Maybe God is leading you to share your story with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, or a family member, or a classmate. Maybe God is leading you just like he's leading Paul and Barnabas to go to some place that people just don't know Jesus. And he wants you to share them, share him with them. And my question this morning is, what is keeping you from obeying him? I mean, do you need to know what lies ahead? Do you need to know the outcome before you step in? Like, will this actually happen? Do you need to have a list of all the details and all of the specifics, but you know what each of these questions are? This is our attempt. This is, here's my attempt to control. But when God leads, our response is simply to obey Him. No matter if we know the outcome or if we think the cost is too much, our response is to obey. Chapter, or verses 4 and 5. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus when they arrived at Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So John Mark's on this trip with them. And, and you read this, and my first question when I read this was, how do they know where they're going? <laughs> like, there's a gap. Like, I'm going to go to the work they show me, they lay hands, they send them off, and then all of a sudden they're like in these two cities, they're on the island, and they're just doing about their thing. How do they know? I think the key is in that verse that we read where it says being sent out by the Holy Spirit. That, that phrase actually means going along with. It's not like, just like the Spirit just pushes them out and says, okay, you guys just go do it. It's the idea the Spirit is going along with them. He is their Guide, which leads us to the second truth. When God leads, we listen. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that's guiding them. And, and, and my guess is that every step of the way, the Spirit is guiding them to which synagogue they would go to, which city they're going to go to next, who they're going to interact with. Like The Spirit is the one who's speaking to them and leading them every step of the way. My, my closest thing that I could come to that I could think of to illustrate this in my own experience with this, is about 20 years ago, three guys and myself, um, kind of almost on a whim, it was probably the most like fastly, quickly put together trip that I've ever done, decided to go to Mexico um, to serve. And, and we didn't have an itinerary or a necessarily really even a plan, which if anybody knows me would actually like just drive me crazy. I'm I drive my family nuts because when we go on vacation, I have a plan, and I have an itinerary, and I have a schedule, like, like we got to get stuff done if we're on vacation, right? And, and so this, these guys, and we scraped together about $2,500, and we went to Juarez, Mexico. And one of the guys on the trip had been to Juarez a couple of times and had kind of loosely formed a relationship with a pastor in a small community outside of Juarez called... Anapra. And when we got to Anapra, it was one of the most impoverished things I'd ever seen in my life. It was built right outside of the city dump for 
for Juarez, and this community basically had taken materials that had been discarded from the people of Juarez, tires and pallets and bits of metal and, and rocks and things like that, and had constructed their homes out of these things. And there was no septic system. The streets were the septic system. It was just dirt roads that were basically kind of carved between the houses. It was the poorest place I've ever been in my life. And what we decided that we were going to do was for 10 days, we were going to see how far God would stretch that $2,500 just to be able to do things that he led us to do. And every morning, we would sit down and we would just pray, God, just lead us. And none of us spoke Spanish. <laughs> And we were in a community that only spoke Spanish. And the pastor that my friend Kyle knew didn't speak really good English either. And so there was, a, there was definitely something lost in translation, especially when we were getting directions to places. But it was amazing to see how God, through the Spirit, led us to a woman who needed medicine for her kids or to provide clothing for a group of children that we came across or to be able to buy some materials for a family to finish their home. It was just amazing to see God unfold and unwrap different opportunities for us to be able to be His hands and His feet. My question with this is, what is God leading you in? Like, if God has called you to obey Him, like, what is He leading you in right now? Like, once you've obeyed God, you're, are you allowing Him to lead you in what He has led you to do? I don't know about your experience, but I've never obeyed God's leading and known up front all the details and specifics ever. And so therefore, there's like three different ways you can go with this, right? You can go your way. You can set the rules, you can set the direction, you can accomplish it how you think you should accomplish it. You can just do it by happenstance, like, hey, whatever comes. Or you can do it His way. You can let Him lead you in it. Galatians 5.25 says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so the question that this begs is, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? And it's the, we, the answer is this, we have to listen to Him. Because if you aren't listening to Him, you aren't keeping in step with Him. And if you aren't keeping in step with Him, then you are just doing it yourself. I really believe that we as a culture have a really, really hard time listening. Like, we're just bad listeners. I mean, there is just too much noise. I mean, everywhere you go, space is filled with noise. I, every time I find myself getting in the car, the first thing I do is I turn on the radio because I don't want to be in silence with my thought. I mean, everywhere we go is noise. And, and then the other thing is we're, we're just too busy. Like, we cram our schedules full of stuff. And it's so hard. I know, for those of you who have young kids, they're in all kinds of different activities and things. For those of you who are caring for your parents, or for those of us who have 20-somethings, you know, there's always something to do. There's always someplace to be. And we just cram our schedules full 
of stuff. Or the other thing is we're just so distracted. Like, we're just, we're, we are a squirrel culture. Squirrel. I mean, we just, everything distracts us. And, 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 and in particular, like our phones, right? I mean, they're constantly buzzing or ringing or dinging or, I mean, you can't sit with a group of people and not have somebody's phone just like make noise. And so how do we get to the place where we can listen? I think the first thing, we just have to slow down. We've got to create margin in our lives. We have to create space for us to be able to spend time to listen. We have to be intentional. We have to set that time aside. Like it's just, it just doesn't happen. I've tried that before. Everything crowds it out. And the other thing in this, this is the most uncomfortable piece of this, you've got to get quiet. You have to be quiet. Because I think the way that the Spirit often speaks to us is in this really, really small voice. And I think the Spirit speaks to us quite often and we just can't hear Him because we're crowding Him out with our busyness and our noise and our distraction. I want to say that I'm dependent on God. Like, I, I want to say that. But I realize the measure of my dependence on God is how much time do I really spend listening to him? Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul. The proconsul would be the governor. Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, of course, this is the same guy. It's not two different people. Bar-Jesus and Elamus are the same people. The magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of a devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking people to lead him by the hand. What's interesting here is no one would touch him because they were afraid that they would catch his blindness. Like that's, that's what's happening here. Then the proconsul believed when, they, when, they, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You know, we don't really know how long it took Paul, or Saul, Paul, and, and Barnabas to like travel this island. I mean, they went synagogue to synagogue as the Spirit was leading them, and finally they arrived at the capital city where this governor is, and they encountered this man named Bar-Jesus. Now, his, interest, his, his name is interesting, and there's a lot of debate as to what this really means, but Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. And we don't know if that means he was like claiming to be one of Jesus' followers, or was it just a coincidence that his, his dad actually was named Jesus? But regardless, this guy was a false prophet. I mean, he was deceiving this governor, and he had the governor's ear, and he was able to probably, uh, probably leverage that to his benefit, whether it be wealth or power or both. 
And so he doesn't want Sergius Paulus, which is an awesome Roman name, he doesn't want him to hear the gospel, and so he's trying to distract him from it. And the Holy Spirit intervenes and, and, put, and makes him blind. And as a result of this, Sergius Paulus comes to faith in Jesus and becomes one of his followers. Which leads us to the final truth, it's this. When God leads, we trust. When God leads, we trust. You see, there's always going to be opposition, there's always going to be obstacles to what he has called you to do. Because we have an enemy that always tries to distract and distort us from doing what God wants us to do. It's just factual. And, and, and especially when it comes to anything related to the message of Jesus. Like if, you're, if God is leading you to share the message of Jesus with someone, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23. He says this. He says, but we, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. That's everybody. And so the question this morning with this is, what is God leading you through? When God leads you to do something and He leads you in something, you have to trust that He will also lead you through it as well. Especially when you face obstacles or opposition. We, we can never allow discouragement or disappointment to distract us or derail us from following God's leading. One of my favorite times with our staff team and with a few other people are Wednesday afternoons. We set aside two hours every Wednesday um, to be able to, to come together, to grow in our relationship with Jesus together, to hold each other accountable, to learn from one another. We usually do that through some kind of a book um, that we're, we're learning together through. And this past week, we started this new study um, that really caused us to reflect back on the challenges that, of leading, um, the challenges of leading the church through 2020 and 2021. It was painful to remember trying to keep people engaged and connected when we were unable to meet together and, and trying to keep people engaged and connected even as we were starting to meet together, realizing that there were still people that just couldn't be able to be um, in person, navigating through the minefield of, of views and opinions on mandates and max, masks and vaccines, you know, trying to discern how all of this was going to ultimately impact the church in the long run, and figuring out and trying to discern what was it that we needed to adjust to and adapt to to this change that was coming, trying to keep unity in the midst of divisiveness and anger and hatred and hurt, and then experience the pain and discouragement and frustration of watching people walk away from the church community and, and even some from their faith. And as I was reflecting on our time together on Wednesday, just on my own personal like response to some of this, I realized that... Uh, the times that I was stressed or worried or fearful or discouraged were the times that, honestly, I was mostly relying 
on my own control and my own solutions or trying to fight the battle on my own. I had forgotten that God is the one who fights the battles. That we, we have to trust God that if he has led us to do something, he will see us through it. Even in the midst of the darkest and most difficult moments, he is good. And he is in control. And he is the one who fights our battles. Even if the outcome, even if the outcome is different than what you imagine or, or what you desire. Because what matters is what he desires and what he wants. So coming full circle, how do we respond when God leads us? We obey. We obey even when we don't know the details and no matter what the cost. And, and we listen. We listen for him to lead each and every step of the way and we trust him to lead us through it and to fight our battles for us. Why? Because we know God is leading us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this example of what we see you doing in Acts and the hope that it gives us and the, the strength that it brings us and the fact that, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father, you are still fighting our battles. You are still leading us, and you are still with us in this. And Father, would you just continue to strengthen us as individuals and strengthen us as a faith community to take the steps of where you're leading us in. Father, you are so good, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.